0: This is the BearCast, Cast presented by Bird Colchin Ford. Bird Colchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by Well Med Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in, everybody, to a new edition of the BearCast here on Sikkim365.com, 365 365 Sports on this Tuesday, June the 20th, 20, and 23 to give you a firm spot on the timeline of when we're talking to you and what's out there in the universe to discuss story-wise, storyline-wise, player-wise, recruiting-wise, and so forth. We'll touch on a Number of different things on the show today, but I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, 365 sports host, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting for Sikkim365, also Jack McKenzie behind the scenes as well. And uh, we are with you for the next uh, hour, give or take. Uh, and we'll be talking a uh, big recruiting weekend in terms of just players being on campus and going through the whole uh, rigmarole of summer uh, recruiting activities. Also got uh, some big decisions in basketball and baseball. But Grayson, how was uh, your last few days since we last talked? Busy. And I got to say, you know, this, uh,
1: this Texas heat that I experienced on Saturday Dude. in camp, it was like 104 degrees out there, and it was humid. I, I like walking into McLean Stadium, and it's only like 90 degrees, it said in my car when I walked in there, and the sun wasn't out. It was like cloudy, cloudy, overcast. I'm like, perfect. I walk into that stadium, just intense humidity, can barely breathe, and then throughout the day, it gets into like 104 degrees. So that was a uh, just a reminder that uh, Texas summer is actually finally here weather-wise.
0: Yeah, I don't know if uh, historically it's any different than it has been. I don't pay close enough attention to the weather to know, but I do know there was the other day where, like, 80%, 90% humidity, and I don't remember really feeling that all that often, but had to spend a lot of time outdoors, and I'm feeling it, man. I feel like, I don't know about you, but I I just, it's going to take, I need to get to next weekend and kind (laughs) of catch up. I mean, really, because... Uh, it zaps you. It zaps the heck out of you, and also just getting older too. Like it just does a double whammy on you. So I think there's some of that going on as well. But yeah, um, it's amazing. Watch 18 year olds go four hours, you know, out of camp settings in this heat, and we're just trying to <laughs> stay upright basically. But right. yeah, the Texas heat is here for sure, uh, and it's very much summertime. So let's dive into a little bit of what's going on this week. Uh, we got a little football, a little baseball and a little basketball as well and let's go ahead and get the hoops out of the way first because that's kind of the most dated news actually. Uh, This happened shortly after I guess we held last week's episode and that was the news that Jalen Bridges had made his decision on whether or not he would return to college and play at Baylor uh, for a second consecutive season or whether he would go play overseas in Australia, make a little bit of money in the pro game and uh, he did come out with this decision and he is going to return to Waco for a second year and close out his college career with the Bears Uh, the pro opportunities whatever those may be um, will surely you know change uh, depending on how he does this season but those can sit on the back burner for a little while longer he's going to be in green and gold that basically solidifies the roster for next season which has been you know uh, kind of a a process, uh, if you will, them adding and then wondering who all they would be subtracting. You knew Keontae George was out a while back. You knew Adam Flagler after a while was gone, but we were still waiting on Jalen Bridges. And now we know Grayson, and now that we know and we know the roster, what are your thoughts on that particular choice and what it means for Baylor basketball moving forward? I mean, hopefully everyone's been
1: following along with this on the premium side and just through tweets and everything like that and, and you know, us talking every week. I mean, this was the most likely situation. And we, we mentioned that multiple times that, yes, Baylor missed on some guys and they w- that they would have liked to have had, um, but at the end of the day, Jalen Bridges was the guy that they wanted, that they really wanted to come back. They wanted a guy that had been in the Baylor program, that knew what it took at Baylor, knew kind of the culture already already and could come back and provide that experience and that maturity and just that comfortability with the staff and with the, uh, the roster in general. And that's what he brings them, a lot of experience. And he's already played in this system a year. I just think he's going to have a great season. And this was an awesome decision by Jalen Bridges, a very important one for Scott Drew and the staff as well because Bridges really started to come on in the second half of the season. Um, At the beginning of the year, I think a lot of people were talking, you know, is he going to be a huge disappointment? You know, he wasn't playing very well, wasn't shooting the ball uh, well at all. And then the second half of the year, he just played great. And I think he really figured out his role. On the team, but also figured out the spots where he could score, picking his spots a lot better, uh, being extremely active on defense and rebounding. Uh, this is a perfect fit for what they need on their roster uh, for next year and is the guy that I think they wanted more than anyone else. So it's huge news uh, for this Baylor basketball team. And I know I tweeted out, you know, this is a top five, top 10 team now, in my opinion. Uh, You can argue, you know, somewhere between 5 and 10, sure, Uh, but they're pushing that ceiling a little bit after adding Ray J. Dennis, Jaden Nunn, uh, Eves Missy, adding, you know, a top 10 player in the nation and Jacoby Walter, um, bringing Everyday John back, getting a guy like Langston Love to return and be another stabilizing force on this roster who's been with them for a while. Um, This is a good team. This is a team that I think is built uh, to be really good next year and to take big steps in the right direction after what? I think some people would call it a disappointing 2022 year
0: yeah I guess it's in the eye of the beholder there's definitely some level of disappointment you know I mean we were kind of talking before the show we can debate on like how bad or whatever last year's football season was but we're gonna have varying degrees of, of how bad it was um, and so I guess it depends on who you ask about the expectations last year in basketball but I think for the most part everybody could kind of agree that yeah it was an early exit earlier than you wanted. Uh, than you planned for and uh, that you were hoping for. So uh, it'd be nice if you had to stick around and get back to the Sweet 16, for example, rather than exiting in the first weekend, uh, which, you know, is uh, it's part of the deal sometimes. But when you're a program that's flying at that level that they are, it's not, you know, you don't want to dip down too often and be bounced in the first weekend because it kind of stutters your momentum a little bit when you're, you know, previously, Hanging banners and right. talking about being amongst the elite. And uh, that's two years in a row. Yes, I mean, exactly. I know, I know North
1: Carolina was not your your average eight seed. Nobody remembers it. that, though. I know. Yeah. They don't. Um, but they weren't. We, we all know that. They made the run to the national championship, almost beat Kansas. But in general, it's all about how far you go, and you're exactly right. What you remember is where did they lose. And it's been the second round the last two years. And you know that Scott Drew and the staff, they expect better. And I think looking at this roster, it's definitely more built on the defensive side. And I I think that's where they're starting to turn things a little bit, try to get back to that defensive mindset that uh, really is what Scott Drew was famous for, honestly, during his first few years in Waco, few years, I mean, like 15 years. And then we saw the offense kind of change and become more guard oriented. But I do think we're seeing a shift back to the defensive side after what was a, a really bad year defensively for them.
0: So you mentioned it. Uh, there, you know, guys on their way in, and of course, Flagler, George. You know, big losses from last year's roster, but uh, they have retooled. Ray J. Dennis, as you mentioned, coming over from Toledo, uh, getting Jaden Nunn from VCU, and then Miro Little, Eves Missy, Jacoby Walter, all through uh, the high school and uh, you know academy recruiting, and then now uh, the big decision. Uh, and return from Jalen Bridges, joining the likes of Dan Twan Grimes, Langston Love, Josh Oginwuna, uh, Jonathan Chamwachachua, uh, Caleb Loner, uh, and that's, uh, I guess that's about it, yeah, as far as the, the main faces of last year's roster that'll be back uh, this year, so uh, interesting mix of guys, and yeah, I think I uh, saw Kendall Kaut writing that, you know, he wasn't that high on this team, uh, you know, here over the last few months necessarily as far as how deep of a run they could make or could they win championships. And then he saw the Jalen Bridges decision, and that seemed to uh, certainly uh, maybe alleviate some of his fears but certainly raise his optimism level, and and I think it did that for a lot of people. So good to have Jalen Bridges back, and he's got a lot of potential just to be a better player this year, Um, you know, was uh surprisingly good at times last year and showed some flashes of like well wait a second how good can he be uh in green and gold and now we'll get an opportunity to see uh you know just how good he can be because they're gonna have more time to maximize his skill set and uh he gets more time to work with a really good staff
1: yeah and he's gonna be more of a focal point this year you know we saw last year they had those three guards that just at times we you and i talked about this a ton the ball just stopped Mm -hmm. and they, they, they were ball stoppers and and Listen, Flagler, great player. Cryer, great player. Keontae George, great player. But sometimes those individual parts don't, always click and work together and at times it just became a lot of one-on-one basketball. The way I see this team built, I don't think it's going to be as much of that. I think you're going to see the ball move a lot more, Um, but Jalen Bridges is going to be important because when they do have those one-on-one situations, he's going to be asked to do a little little bit more in that regard than he did um, this past year, but I I like the way they're built. I think they're more athletic than the team last year. They're longer, they're bigger, they're going to be better defensively. Uh, The questions really come down to how much of an upgrade do they get at center with flow leaving and you play everyday john eves missy Joshua how does that work out and then the other part is you know ray j dennis how good is he because i, I do think they're probably going to need at least one all big 12 player uh maybe two if they really want to be like a one seed or a two seed and that's probably going to come between the group of ray j dennis jacoby walter jalen bridges would be my guess they probably need one or two of those guys to be uh, first team all big 12.
0: So, there is uh, the big news from Baylor men's basketball last week with Jalen Bridges and his decision. Uh, I know that uh, there's still a little bit of time until the NBA draft next week, but uh, we'll have, I guess when we record on Tuesday, kind of a final mock draft uh, go-around in terms of where we can sort of average out where Keontae George will most likely land and uh, maybe where Adam Flagler could fit in in the second round. That's this week. Is that this week? That's, that's Thursday. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I thought it yeah. was next. See, the heat got to it's, me like I was talking about earlier. Yeah,
1: it's Thursday. So, yeah, we, we okay. can talk well, about some Okay, well, Keontae of George, uh,
0: I mean, mostly I've seen him falling into the late part of the first round. Uh, not a lottery guy any longer. It was looked at that. But, yeah, that I'm glad that you corrected me because I totally thought that that was next week. But um, he is uh, still a first-round pick, I think, in most people's eyes. But it's just a matter of, like, how far he could slide potentially – um, you know, you love his shooting ability. Uh, maybe you don't love the defense as much. You know, there's there's definitely room for critiques for a guy who's very young still, but it's undeniable the, the talents that he does have and the ability that he does have to grow more. So um, any thoughts on just, you know, where you see him potentially or what you think about his opportunities moving forward here uh, at the end of the week? So I've seen him
1: all over the place in drafts. Right. I mean, yeah.
0: like in the twenties, he's
1: fallen in some, I've seen him late lottery still, which, you know, is interesting because I feel like as we've gone further in this process, it feels like he's going to fall. Like it, it feels that way. It feels mm-hmm. like there's a chance he could be one of those guys who everyone thought was going to be in the first round and then falls to the second round. Like it's just been weird vibes throughout the entire, I, I guess, couple months. But Ultimately, you know the ones that I trust the most still have him in that you know late lottery to early twenties range. So I think that's probably where he's going to to fit in, um, which isn't bad because that means you're probably going to go to a pretty good team. Um, you know, the Ringer has him going 13th to the Raptors. That would be a great fit in my eyes. They're about to lose Fred Van Fleet. Um, they could use a guard that can score make some plays in that regard. So that would make some sense. I think the Nets could make some sense as well. Another good opportunity, good situation to learn a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, his draft stock definitely hasn't hasn't risen. You know, like Sohans did last year where it was like, oh, man, people are starting to talk about him as a top 10 pick. Haven't really heard that with Keontae. I, I think this is probably going to be late lottery, early 20s type situation.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I just Googled his name just to get like the – most latest update possible and it's all over the place it's it is, like five yeah. Keontae george could go here and it's name a team uh toronto new orleans milwaukee it, it names everybody basically because it's all just blogs predicting why he would fit for their their teams respectively so yeah not a great feel for where he may go outside of just first round and not like top 10 um, but beyond that you know it could it could be just about anywhere for Keontae george Adam Flagler, haven't seen nearly as much on him. I know there's a thought, like, maybe he could be a second-round pick, but I don't know how much of a percentage that's, like, sure thing. Um, so it's more of a wait-and-see uh, as far as he goes. And, and the NBA draft is strange because it is only two rounds. And then you also have the added dimension of not only the G League guys over these last few years, but the international guys for forever and ever not at this point as well. So uh, it, it definitely... Adds to the pool of players and and bumps some of the college guys around a little bit when you have the G League and the international guys also in the uh, in the pool with you. Yeah, it definitely does. And you know, I remember
1: Jack wrote an article on this, so I'm gonna run through a few of the the landing spots. Yeah, uh, so Adam Flagler, uh, Wizards at pick 57, NBA Draft.net had him at pick 45 to Memphis. So again, second round pick, maybe. Uh, or goes undrafted. It's going to be something like that for Adam Flagler, but he has had multiple workouts, which gives me some confidence that we'll hear his name uh, in the second round. Now, as far as Keontae goes, a couple of the different ones, um, the Athletic has him at number 18 going to Miami, um, so that's one. um, Another, NBA.com, New Orleans at 14, uh, seems to be a pretty consensus type one, Oklahoma city at number 12 is another one. And the highest that anyone has him going is number eight to Washington. So, um, I think that's a little too high. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that happening. I think he's going to be in the teens somewhere or in the twenties. But again, I I'm really walking on eggshells here because I, I have some of the things that I've heard. It's like, there's a chance he might just completely fall out of the first round, which would be pretty crazy because most mock drafts do have him drafted. But just something to pay attention to, I think.
0: Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, just the slide that you've sort of seen in some of those selections, whereas he was pretty much a lock to be a lottery guy at one point in time. So again, it's an inexact science. And look, not every mock draft has like 100% certified rating behind it. Like, you know, honestly, we could just go throw up one right now. And, you know, somebody could look at that and think that that's, well, wow, that mock draft, you know, it, I mean, who really knows, uh, except for the NBA folks themselves, but it does give you a nice gauge. Uh, and there are people, obviously, who are very locked in uh, to the game and, and do have those mock drafts that are pretty reliable. Um, so, yeah, depending on where you look, it's it's a pretty big gap, uh, but he will be drafted. We do know that for sure, and uh, where to and all of that will be fun to find out here in the next couple of days. So that will be coming your way on Thursday. Um on ABC ESPN at seven o'clock central time, the NBA draft. All right. So there's a little bit of what's going on with basketball really revolving around them, adding to their, uh, army, their ever growing, you know, lineup of pro players. That's grown to be pretty impressive. And we'll get even more impressive with wh- wherever Keontae George lands. Uh, meanwhile, uh, let's get to, I guess the baseball decision, and then we can just close out stuff with the recruiting weekend and kind of take our time with that. But, uh, Man, you talk about um, articles getting written and then changing. Uh, You know, you had a lot of talk about AJ McCarty this off season, only for him to suddenly not be on the team anymore as of last week. And uh, you know, certainly there, uh, when it came to baseball uh, and its end a few weeks ago, a lot of talk about Colby Branch of like, well, at least there's Colby Branch. At least we've got Colby Branch, the old Big Twelve. All-freshman selection, uh, great player, uh, certainly a building block for Mitch Thompson and company, had a really strong season in green and gold uh, these past, uh, this past year. And, you know, it was really rough sledding for that team uh, with Mitch Thompson a year number one. Not, not making the Big 12 baseball tournament and, you know, also realizing, too, there's no quick solution here. I mean, they can go and recruit as hard as they want, but they're not going to be able to field a team that's suddenly winning the Big 12 title. Um, you know, they can go scrounge together a little bit of NIL money, but it's not going to necessarily match what others are already doing. And so it's a, it's a process. But at least you had Colby Branch, right? Mm-hmm. And sure as, you know what, um, come Monday morning, after multiple assurances that, you know, whether it was from him or from, you know, folks like Zach Dillon that Levi talked to or Mitch Thompson, Uh, All of the belief that Colby Branch was going to be back, um, he is, in fact, transferring. Um, And that was broken on uh, Monday, uh, that he would be heading out of Waco. Immediately, there was speculation about NIL money. Uh, There was also the connection with his brother, uh, who is going to be playing at Oklahoma, um, and, you know, quite frankly, you get the combination of both of those right there with o- OU, but uh, don't know where he'll land, although that would make some sense, you know, to join your brother. Um, NIL certainly going to be an opportunity for him as well, and I don't blame anybody for making a little bit of scratch while they can. I mean, shoot, who knows what his future holds, so if there's somebody out there that's, that's offering money, that's all part of the game now. Um, but regardless, he... Also, if you listen to certain people, just wanted to win more. And and that was a driving factor. So whatever you want to believe, there's a combination of things in play that doesn't matter really what one's above the other. They all kind of added up in my mind to, to create this decision. And plus probably some other things we're not even realizing. In the end, doesn't matter. He's gone. And um, that's a blow for Mitch Thompson and company, to say the least. So uh, your thoughts on... Uh, losing your your star player after an all-Big 12-type season and, and just kind of the situation baseball finds themselves in trying to grow this program back up.
1: Right. The, the momentum right now for Baylor baseball – is just completely not there. I mean, this is it's been hard to watch this offseason, to be honest. They've lost 10 players to the transfer portal. Uh, Will Rigney left this past week as well, and he's going to Texas, which is just another, like, really to um, be
0: fair. He's it, a local guy, Midway, and all that, but he was hurt a lot. He was, yeah, yeah.
1: no, and I know, and there's reasons for all of these sure. transfers. Don't get me wrong, like, how much scholarship are you taking mm-hmm. up? Like, all of these things I understand, but like outside perception and the way you're viewing things it's like Will Rigney at one time, it wasn't a sure thing he was going to make it to Baylor because he was just so good, and then he got to Baylor, just constantly got hurt, and then he doesn't just transfer, but he transfers to Texas, so you had that all in there, that's tough to watch, um, and then this comes out, Colby Branch entering the transfer portal, first of all, credit to Levi, uh, he was way ahead of this, did a great job covering this, and so um, big credit to him before he even entered the portal, um, just trying to cover this uh, in the best way possible, even though knowing that this, you know, obviously was going to get very negative reaction from the Baylor fan base, but it's tough to watch this because I think Colby was a guy where you go, okay, going into next year, at least they have this stabilizing presence, a truly legit prospect who could come out and be, you know, like the, the big 12 player of the year next year, potentially. And then you just build talent around him. You build a lineup that fits, you know, together, but you know, you have this guy. Now you lose him, and it's like, man, what what do you have on this roster? Um, because I'm seeing here going, okay, I, I know they're going to add transfers, but from where I sit, they need to add like. A ton of trans, like 15, 20 transfers. And not only do they need to add transfers, they need to add transfers who can really play. Um, if they're going to hope to turn this around in year two, um, really tough to see. Uh, I'm sure this was tough for Mitch Thompson. And now, like you said, Colby Branch is going to have so many opportunities to go wherever he wants to go. Uh, he probably will get NIL money if he wants it. He'll get opportunities. He's smart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he's got opportunity. He'll, he could go play in the SEC, he could go play anywhere and so that's also going to be tough to see he's going to go somewhere and probably be really really good wherever he goes and uh, yeah just a huge blow to baylor baseball which is truly a program right now that when i get asked you know what do you think about the future of baylor baseball i really don't have an answer because i don't i just don't see it with the roster going into next year and then at what point is it like okay well then at at what point do you go okay you know, maybe they just need to completely scratch the roster again, or when do we see a light at the tunnel? Because I don't necessarily see it going into next year unless they go out and find really, really high-quality transfers that move the needle, and we haven't really seen that so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, once Levi gets back from Europe, maybe it'll be time for him to do a big deep dive omnibus of Baylor baseball season and then now all the changes and what to look forward to and kind of give people a perspective on what they're dealing with. But they're not going to be – Um, Omaha good anytime soon uh, with the way things are going. And, I mean, like even Big 12 tournament guarantees aren't right there at the moment because they didn't make it last year. And now we're talking about them basically breaking it all down again to try and build it back up. And, you know, you can't do that every year. It is only year two. Got to be patient and, you know, let things play themselves out, but that was a blow to the ego for sure, losing Colby Branch because that was the one thing that you could really hold on to and say, all right, well, there's there's where we're building off of and who we're building off of, and, uh, you know, you expected that you'd be building off of, of Colby uh, Branch uh, and, you know, perhaps some others, but not going to happen, and that's just a, another kind of um, – I guess a showing of just baseball and kind of how it works sometimes, but also just college athletics in general now too. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for Kobe branch and I don't slight him. You know, I know that there'll be probably the older crowd that talks about commitment and all that, but like, come on, it's a totally different, totally different era. Um, and a totally different person, you know, that's going through the process versus somebody who was doing it 10 years ago, 20, 30. I mean, it's, Just It's not even comparable when you're talking about NIL opportunities and win now and just the mindset and all of those types of things, right? So, like, I, yeah, part of me is like, well, you should keep your, but then on the other hand, I'm like, but I also get it. Like, I totally get it if you're Colby Branch. Like, you only live once, man, and if you're trying to make the most out of your baseball career in college, like, I get it, Um, you know being maybe wooed by your brother playing here or SEC ball or NIL ball or whatever. And yeah, it sucks, but that's just, that's reality too. And that's what, you you know, you're going to also have to contend with for big time players if you're Mitch Thompson. So that, that does leave you with the dilemma of like, how do you do that? And that's, that's the hard part that, you know, where all the energy needs to go into thinking about how, how that does occur. I think it's
1: tougher because he's a freshman so it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you just saw the, the reason why he was recruited to Baylor. Like you just saw what Baylor saw in him. And then it's like, oh, and now go. And Somebody else will get the rest of, right. yeah. You know yeah, what I, I mean? I think that's the tough part. Like for instance, Trey, Trey Richardson, when he left to TCU, like he right. was recruited by a different staff. Like he's an older guy, you know, basically wanting to finish out his career somewhere else, have a successful final year. It made sense, right? this one it's just like man a freshman a freshman just has a good year and then leaves like i don't know i just feel like that's that makes it a tougher pill to
0: swallow in my eyes it might be tough to swallow but you're gonna have to get it down somehow or another because it's that's what's happening um he's he's out and uh they will now scramble to try and find you know whatever and whoever they can to you know minimize the hit taken and try and find the next colby branch and i know i saw some scuttle but like steve rodriguez recruited him a bit as well so it wasn't necessarily all mish tom but i mean regardless it's the same thing like whether steve rodriguez was still the coach or not losing an all big 12 freshman after his freshman year in the midst of this nil game and and when you do feel like you're kind of um getting swallowed up a little bit and just you know like you're you're trying to swim, but you're just sort of getting overwhelmed every you know every direction that you look by another wave. It's, it's kind of how Baylor baseball feels at the moment. If they could just keep their head above water and just get a chance to take a breath, and you know recoup a little bit, um, you know maybe they can get themselves on a nice straight path forward. But it's going to be tough. So big off season ahead for them uh, to go out there and just continue trying to find players and then nail them down and uh, you know work on some of the NIL side of things and. I just do it do what they can but uh, that was uh yeah tough blow this week certainly personnel wise so we will have more on them as it uh, is needed to discuss but you do uh, have the double whammy of there's a particular team and trey richardson on that team that are still in the college world series having won a game uh as uh, tcu's magical year continues on as well so um Definitely, every time I see them play, and I see Trey Richardson, I'm just like, "Yep, there's." It's been one of those years I feel like for Baylor baseball.
1: Yeah, it has. And go Oral Roberts. Uh, they play TCU, I think tonight. Um, but yeah, so and then also don't forget baseball side of things. You're going to be adding Central Florida, mm-hmm. Houston, UCF, BYU. Um, BYU not very good, um, but Houston, Central Florida, both really pretty solid programs. They both won in the 30s this year, and so Houston's been really good for a while in baseball. So just another factor. You're not really getting one team that's just coming in that's awful. Um, So, yeah, a lot lot more to contend with, and I'm curious. I haven't heard how the Big 12 tournament will change because of that. Um, Not sure about next year,
0: yeah, especially with it being only one year. I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything on the baseball side of things. Um, as compared to you know them figuring out football details and basketball mm-hmm. details and maybe that's just something we get a little bit later on down the line but yeah I mean how many teams make the tournament um, and you know where do they potentially fit in that and it's a weird year because it'll be the massive conference for for one year with Texas and Oklahoma still around but also the you know the new schools joining the fray so you could find yourself in. You know, really lost in the shuffle if you're not careful with, you know, some more teams now coming in. So, yeah, it's it's a big next few months uh, for Mitch Thompson. I think he kind of knew the deal, but it's been rough in spots, and uh, we'll see what happens here uh, with whatever they can scrounge together and and go and recruit and put together for next year's roster. So And also, we'll see where Colby Branch eventually lands, I'm sure, in the near future as well. All right, so good news for basketball, bad news for baseball. And uh, then there was football, and there's been lots of news. And then again, like no news in terms of commits, um, you know, and those can trickle in sometimes. Those can be a a flash of commits. Last week it was – Kind of what, there was a, it was a 2025, and then there was another commit like a day after the weekend had wrapped, but from somebody who wasn't even on campus for the visit, so it was mm-hmm. kind of strange. Um, and so far, quiet on the pledge front, uh, but you know, a lot of activity still going on, Grace. And so a uh, breakdown for us. Big recruiting weekend and, you know, where things kind of sit after another go-around.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Baylor's currently at three commits uh, in the month of June for the 2024 class. Then, of course, they got Adam Schobel in the 2025 class. So, four commits in the month already. Uh, Still have another official visit weekend coming up uh, this weekend. And I think, you know, we mentioned the first weekend being very much priority visitors, kind of guys who... I don't want to say are long shots, but just guys who there's a lot of competition and those guys still had a lot of visits to come. And so there really wasn't an expectation that they were going to land a lot of guys after that first weekend. But this second weekend, I felt like it was more likely that they might land a guy or two. Um, And I still feel that way. Uh, So a couple of guys to keep an eye on. Tidehaven running back, Joseph Dodds. Uh, He's between Baylor and Missouri now. He took a visit, official visits to Tech, Missouri, and Baylor, uh, but Tech just got their running back uh, committed, Jacoby Williams. Uh, so they no longer have room at the running back position. So now I believe this is Baylor versus Missouri. I feel pretty good uh, about Baylor at this moment for Joseph Dodds, the running back there. Very good player. Um, and we'll talk about him more if he does end up making a decision, but I could see that coming in this relatively near future, so could be positive momentum there. Uh, They also had uh, Corner Canyon linebacker Bo Tate uh, on a visit as well, so he's out of Utah, and he's between Baylor and Oklahoma State. He'll be making a decision after his Oklahoma State official visit this upcoming weekend, so big one there. I mean, this is really, truly the week of battles. Um, Kyle Limmerman, the kicker out of South Lake Carroll, he took his official visit to Texas Tech this weekend. He's got his Baylor official visit this weekend and then he'll be deciding in the month of June between Baylor, Texas Tech TCU and Arkansas. So another battle for Baylor. Then you move on to a uh, Dylan hip. Out of Desert Mountain, the tight end, the 2024 tight end out of Arizona. He's between Ole Miss and Baylor. His Baylor official visit is coming up this weekend. Then he will be deciding after that visit. So, a lot of decisions coming up, a lot of battles that Baylor is squarely in the middle of um, for prospects. So, I could see some big turning, you know, some turning of events here coming up in the near future. Another guy to mention, uh, Walton, linebacker Ashton Woods, Uh, he's out of Georgia. So another out-of-state commit, which, or not commit, but another out-of-state guy who's on Baylor's radar, who's been talked about a ton. Um, He was on his official visit this past weekend. He's been a priority uh, for this class, was the first offer by Christian Robinson at the Mike linebacker position, Um, and that relationship with Christian Robinson has has been key uh, for him. I kind of see him right now as Baylor versus North Carolina. I think Wake Forest is in the mix as well. Um, but he's a guy who Baylor would love to land. He'd be a huge, huge pickup. He's a four-star prospect, uh, according to our model on Sikkim365.com. So, like I said, a lot of moving parts, a lot of decisions coming up, and a lot of things that could, if they go in Baylor's direction, that could jump this commit number way through the
0: roof. Uh, to what are we talking about here, like 9, 10 guys, I, you know, 7, 8 guys? I mean, so they're at 3 in this class that have committed
1: in the month of June. I, I think, again, I, my initial thought was that they'd get somewhere between 6 and 8 by the end of June. I think they can definitely get to that number based on the decisions that are coming up, where I feel they're at right now heading into this weekend, which, again, you're adding – you know, multiple visitors who are going to be on campus, who we're going to hear, you know, more about throughout the week. And also guys on on this trip in particular have decisions coming up um, that they need to make. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, a a big weekend. I know Mansfield Summit linebacker Kylan Reed, he released his top three, Oklahoma State, Utah, Baylor. He's on his official visit, so another decision could be coming up for him. Uh, But in general, a lot of momentum here for Baylor that, I feel like even if I write about it, even if I talk about it, even if I bring it up, it just feels like no one feels the momentum, even Mm -hmm. though there is clearly momentum like we're talking about it right now. I can write about as much as I can. But like at the end of the day, you got to see it for what it is and see that there's a lot of decisions coming up for a class that isn't supposed to be massive. And Baylor is still in a pretty good position to have a very nice class by the end of the month of June.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the fan base right now is just in, kind of stuck in a little more of a negative leaning mode, um, just based on, I think, last year, mostly, um, and just kind of the feel of uh, where, what direction are we headed? It's the NIO Wild West, our opponents are out here going to the playoff, or they're you know, acting as though they've won 10 titles in a row and, you know, spinning that off into recruiting success. And, you know, it's just, I just, I think that I don't know how to put my finger quite on it, but we were kind of talking about it before the show, but yeah, there's just like this perception, even if it's not even quite reality. And I don't think anything solves that other than going and winning football games. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's really the only thing to, to solve that is to trot that team out there here in a couple months and have them go out there and beat Utah or beat TCU or beat Tech again or, you know, win eight games, nine games, and then maybe you feel it because they're just not an outward-projecting staff. Like, I know Matt Palage gets on there sometimes and, like, hey, go get them, and, you know, Eric Mateos jumps in and has, like, some O-line wisdom, but they're not, like, fireworks and flash flashing lights and, you know, glitter and... All this other extra stuff that you kind of see all over the place now, they're just, they're not going to be like that because they're not built like that. And they're priding themselves on the person over player rather than the NIL over the person or the, you know, whatever else, you know, you want to, you know, maybe position some others positions as, but... Yeah, and because of that, and that's not a knock, it's just I think that it comes from their head coach on down. And there are moments for excitement, but the real excitement is going to be like going and beating a team and winning that game, not March thirtieth and woo woo woo, here's flashing lights again and big mm-hmm. recruiting weekend and look at this graphic that's fancy and that's just that's just not this program right now and it's not gonna be with Dave Aranda and that's okay, but you gotta win football games. Right.
1: You gotta win football games and you gotta recruit at a high enough level that it makes you have excitement, which I believe they've done. I, I yeah. mean, contrary to popular belief, I, I do think they've recruited pretty well, and I think <clears throat> a lot of people are, like, looking at what Texas Tech or doing. A lot of it's a measuring contest, yes, it, and it, that's
0: that's something that I think is just kind of ingrained in some people, yeah. and it's just it's impossible to root out for some because I'd love to fight that fight, but I just don't feel like it would be much... I feel like it would be a waste of energy in, right. in a lot of ways. It,
1: and in general, like, most of the battles, to be honest, are still out there between these schools. Like, Baylor hasn't really recruited a lot of the guys that are in Texas Tech's recruiting class. Like, you might say, oh, they have an offer. Well, okay, when was that offer given, and when did that prospect commit? Like, these have not been tight battles going down to the wire. Like, the most recent one was Chris Welkema, who cho- chose Baylor over Tech, um, and I'm sure Tech Fans might say, "Oh, they didn't really want him." Maybe that's true. I'm not sure, but what I can tell you is these. That's next, always the case. <laughs> yeah, but these next few, I can tell you without a doubt, they were a battle at some point. Like Joseph Dodds, for instance, he took his official visit at the beginning of June to Texas Tech. He did not commit on that official visit. Tech ended up getting a commit this past week, but the reason he didn't commit on that visit was because he wanted to go to the other schools. So. If Baylor does land him, does that is that considered a win over Tech? I think so. He took an official visit to both and yeah, maybe his spot was gone at Tech but he still chose Baylor despite taking an official visit at both schools. Whatever. But the other ones, Kyle Limmerman, that would be a recruiting win for Baylor. He just took his official visit to Tech this past weekend. Uh, I think a guy like Peyton Morgan out of pflugerville Weiss, he took his official visit to Tech, I believe last weekend or a couple weekends ago. That's another head-to-head battle. Like, Pay attention to these battles as we go forward, because uh, they'll be really telling. Because when, when Baylor or Tech or TCU land guys who aren't being recruited heavily by the other program, it's not really a win over that school. And... Thus, Baylor wasn't necessarily interested in those guys, or TCU wasn't interested in those guys. And so I think the bigger ones are which guys are both schools interested in and who's winning those battles more times than not. I think that's the bigger thing than just like, oh, this guy has a bunch of stars. Well, okay, maybe the stars are wrong on that guy. Or maybe, like, there's... There's that ha- that happens. Not
0: every not every staff bats 100% uh, percent no. every single class, uh, no matter how good they think that they are, no matter where they are, what conference they're in, whatever. Um, you know, a lot of it's just blustery talk mm-hmm. and, and barking, and then, you know, there's the actual results. And that's what I mean is, like, there's this is not going to be a staff that's out there in your face bragging about a lot of different accomplishments or little victories here and there. They're just for the most part going to go about their business. And, and so as far as the hype game goes, they're not really gonna make a lot of noise in that way. But yeah, they can make plenty of noise without having to, to make a lot you know, or to, to scream too much or to make a lot of um, you know uh, flashy uh, graphics or, or what or whatever like whatever it is that appeals to people where they think that Baylor's not doing that, right. They're just doing it in a different style. And I think that kind of lines up too with just the college athletics, you know, train in general is Baylor's not going to be a top NIL school. They're just not going to be, there's not enough people. And unless there's like two or three people, they're going to be the next founder and CEO of Oracle, you know, like it's just not, it's just not possible because of just the the situation that they're in size wise and and those types of things, and that's not going to change. So um, you pick your battles. And hopefully you win enough to eventually win wars. And, and you know, you can go win those during the regular season. But, yeah, I think they've done a much better job than probably they're given credit for. It's just it's not in your face. And it's not, um, you know, something that's, uh, you know, constantly hammered home probably because they're just – they're not – that's not their style. So, you can, you know um, – follow along and enjoy it along the way, or you can be more concerned with, like, how many splashes are made along the way. But uh, I I feel confident, regardless, that they're going to find talent. And it's just a matter of, like, can you find them? Can you win some of those battles that you mentioned? And then, as importantly as anything, can you develop Mm -hmm. these players? Because that's what we really need to see is, yes, the recruiting piece, but also the developmental side. And I think this year we should start to see some of that uh, whereas, you know, maybe they had some Matt Rule guys and they finished off the development piece um, over the last couple of years. Now we're starting to see the wave of the guys they've had from ground zero, and it'll be fun to see, you know, how those guys blossom, and then that, that'll be something else that they can carry with them and, and use as recruiting tools or use to, uh, to promote. See, and I, I actually view it as the opposite. I, I
1: actually trust this staff to develop. My question is the recruiting side actually, which is which might be counterintuitive, but if you think about it, like 2021, we've talked about this a lot, but Jalen Petrie, JT Woods, like those guys didn't play their best football until Dave Veranda was in the building. Like Jalen Petrie was getting put up to like 212 pounds to play like middle linebacker for Matt Rule. It it was just weird. And then he gets moved by Dave Veranda, Like All those parts, those guys got developed to the level that they could play at a Big 12 championship level. My question is, have the guys that they've recruited, that they've gone out and recruited, were they good enough prospects at the beginning to be developed into guys that can go out and win a Big 12 championship, if that makes sense? Yeah, we're
0: splitting words, but that's basically what I mean. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean is, like, now we're going to see his guys, and we're going to see, like, is Corey Gordon going to turn into a player? Mm -hmm. Or, like, that's what I mean is, like, now let's see the development because they've got guys on campus. Now we need to see those guys develop into players. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I guess— So that goes hand-in-hand hand with what you're saying. They've got the guys. They've landed the players. But are those players now going to blossom into right. contributors and big-time Right. Players? I guess
1: what I'm saying is where was their starting point? Like, were they actually a good prospect? You know what I mean? Like I, to me, it's more. That's more of a question. That's more of was a question. A good yeah. pro, was this player an actual good prospect when they took him? Because I trust them to develop good prospects into good players. Because we've seen that. Does that? I. That's kind of where I'm at with it. That's why I need to see it recruiting wise, which also means I need to see it on the field because we need to see like, okay, how good were these prospects at the beginning? How athletic were they? What What was their testing? Because we know that's kind of what Matt Rule went for. And Baylor developed them. And so now I'm I'm just curious, you know, how does that work? I feel pretty confident about because I've seen, you know, some flashes. We've seen it, but a lot of those guys were young last year and they weren't they weren't the kind of guys that I think could play as true freshmen and whatnot. Now we're gonna see guys at least have they've been in the program for a year or two. How do they look? And and were they truly really good prospects when they were recruited by Baylor? And then, you know, the other part is, you know, development. Did that continue?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're mostly in agreement. As far as, like, where they were when they recruited by Baylor, that's less of a concern to me, or I guess it's not less of a concern, but that's, like, where they were doesn't matter as much to me because they're on campus now. So wherever they were, it doesn't really matter. It's the job of the staff to get them prepared and developed and ready to play because that's who you've got. Mm -hmm. So if they weren't where they should have been when you got them, that's still coming back to being on you, and, you know, that's something to, to break down when that player doesn't pan out or whatever. But... Yeah, I mean, you hope that you hit on them when you recruit them to begin with, but if they were slightly off, well, that's where the developmental piece is the most important part because you're gonna have to grow them into something, and it's gonna be, have to be something that needs to contribute here pretty right. quickly because your your wave of guys are here now. There, this is this is your wave, and between the recruitment and the development, I mean, there's there's no like, well, give it three or four. nut. we're not we're not in that kind of world anymore, and. Um, you know, now it's, it's time to start seeing if, yeah, that recruiting and subsequent development can, can pay off and turn into uh, a replenishment of this roster with a lot of talented guys. And, and we'll start to see some of that, I think, uh, quite a bit of that this upcoming season. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's a question uh, that you you'll get to start seeing kind of the layers peeled back here over – I guess, the next couple of months uh, or in the next couple of months and looking very much forward to seeing uh, that part of it, the the recruiting and development side, how that's all come together these last couple of years. All right, um, anything else from the camps? I so, know they had the RG3 camp um they've got another camp this weekend to be clear last week was specialist camp and the rg3 camp right yeah and then this week's Saturday, a regular Saturday. blown high school camp mm-hmm. uh so anything before we dive in the mailbag as far as that goes no i mean they put out uh two new offers last week so not a ton
1: um from the camp at least so it wasn't uh, it wasn't the most talented wasn't the most loaded camp that to put in perspective, I think they sent out like 11 offers after the first camp, so I expect this one to get a little bit closer to that, you know, maybe eight, eight, nine, 10 type number instead of only two uh, that were here uh, this past weekend. But yeah, I mean, this weekend was more about the official visit. Next weekend is going to be more about the official visits as
0: well as Baylor tries to uh, finish strong here uh, in the month of June. All right, so camp coming up this weekend, and that all continues to roll on along behind the scenes. Part of that development process is, you know, the weights being lifted and the miles being run over time, Uh, the sprints and all the different things, getting guys in shape. Been fun to see kind of the updates that are continuing to pour out from the strength and conditioning side. Doesn't reveal a lot. You just see some of the same names, like the Barrington brothers have clearly been impactful. Uh, Garmin Randolph has been on there a couple of times of late. We talked about, you know, just the fact that he's back and working out, but now to see him on there like a couple of days in a row mm-hmm. is a good sign. To see some of the younger guys that this staff recruited and have been bringing up yeah. now the last couple of years and who will see like how well they've been developed is, is what we are just talking about. Your Corey Gordons, for example. Um, Josh you know, White's Josh been on Josh there White's been on there. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the receivers uh, have been on there, and those are the guys that I'm talking about mm-hmm. and that, that we're talking about is – Those were your guys, regardless of where they were, though. Two-star, three-star, four-star, like... Lights are on now, and and they need to be showing some signs of having progressed a little bit. So to see them on those lists is is a good positive sign. Doesn't always translate, as we've learned, but it is usually a pretty good indicator of of who's making an impact in the offseason. So um, good to see that. And, uh, yeah, just uh, looking forward to, to this just really slowly but surely ramping up here over the next few weeks. And we are less than a month away now from Big 12 Media Days where we should get a lot of information from Dave Aranda, from the players themselves and get a much better idea and, and much more answers on just a lot of the different things that are going on right now. Uh, so, um, with all that, you know, taken care of, a lot going on, obviously, even though it's the summer months, <laughs> the, just the roster makeovers, much less what's to come here in this next sports season. But let's go to the mailbag to close it out. Big Cheese 83, and you know, other fruits of June official visits may take a little longer to ripen, but it's June 20th, we've only had two commits this um. This June 3, if you count Graydon Grimes for how much our staff told 365 insiders June was going to be a big month for recruiting. Is this the result so far, what was expected, or did you envision us having more recruits committed for 2024 by now? Well, I mean, I do count Graydon as a commit because he committed. Yeah, and he's a commit. I don't know. I mean, I understand his father's on staff and all that, <laughs> but he's still a commitment. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually the third
1: because you got Graydon Grimes, Mason Dossett, Chris Walkamutt, and if you don't want to count Adam Schobel in the 2025 class, like that'd be a fourth one, but sure, maybe we won't count him because we're talking about the 2024 class, but that's three commitments. They did lose Brandon Booker, so they had a commitment, but um, I do think that we've talked about this a little bit. I think decisions are coming very soon And I think there's going to be a lot of decisions that come rather quickly in the next two weeks. Um, So I expect there to be quite a few more uh, commitments by the time we're done with the month of June. And that's kind of where I'm at. I I think this number will get somewhere between six and eight, uh, which is what I said we expected at the very beginning of the month. Um, And that wasn't even counting Adam Schoble, who I think counts to that mix. I mean, a four-star quarterback in the 2025 class. So yeah, I I think they've had a really nice June. I think it's going to get better. And I think you're going to see a little bit more momentum as uh, the month ends, as these guys wrap up their official visits, start deciding uh, where they're going to go. Remember, the month of June was used for four official visits for a lot of guys. So their decision wouldn't come till the end of the month. And that's kind of what we're waiting on uh, at this very moment. But yeah, like I've said, I do think there's a misconception out there with where their momentum's at and kind of how they've been recruiting. This is a smaller class. And I think in general, they've done a very nice job. And I think the end of the month will show that.
0: Scotty B, do you think that athletes get in their heads too much in that bad way? I saw that with now a former Baylor women's tennis player, Anita Shadiva, who's committed to LSU as a transfer last week, did this some this past season. She also had issues with her attitude and a lot of point penalties, as well as two times where she defaulted matches due to her actions and behavior. I mean, yeah. Yeah athletes do get in their head way too much we see it all the time I
1: don't know this specific instance I I didn't watch enough of her this year but I I think that you know losing confidence or having a bad attitude which some athletes do have can absolutely impact play on the field definitely
0: yeah I think uh, it's pretty proven Uh, now I mean there's I think scientific you know studies that have tried to peel back the layers of the athlete's mind and figure out, you know, the anxieties and the stresses and and all those types of different things. But just, I mean, human nature, we get in our heads a lot as is. And uh, I think that's certainly when you apply the pressures of sports and competition and expectations and all that then yeah, that definitely happens and happens probably far more frequently than we realize. Uh, Bear 19 could you guys see a future of college athletics for schools like Baylor where there's only so much revenue and NIL pie to go around and sports like baseball or equestrian end up being dropped? I, well, I, there's the whole Title nine thing mm-hmm. um, that kind of prevents that from happening. Now, in theory, without getting to fantasy land, even though it's not super fantasy land because we're kind of halfway there already, but if you fear, like the big split of college athletics and whatever, um, and you feel like the Big Ten SEC go drift off into becoming NFL, NBA, MLB, lighter, whatever, uh, then maybe they drop the Title IX and they just become uh, non-college sports. Uh, They wouldn't be college sports anymore. They would be glorified uh, minor league systems. Uh, Then, you know, maybe those teams would shed those types of sports because they would no longer be bound by Title IX. They'd also no longer be university athletics. Uh, and in that case, I think you'd still see plenty that would just not be able to play in that deep end of the pool. That would remain as is, and you know, probably um, you know, be rewarded for uh, you know the fallout on the other side of, of the deal. But that's an, a what if scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, everybody's under the same rules uh, with Title Nine and all of those types of things. So um, I could see it. I could see a future where some college athletics known programs are no longer college athletics known programs and they're more minor league to answer your question and yeah in that case that would happen but not not legit college athletics that's not going to be the case where you're seeing that on a regular basis right I mean that that's pretty much exactly where you would
1: go with it so
0: the answer I guess the simple answer
1: is no um but there are parts to this where If certain events happen, then you could see it in certain college athletic programs, like you mentioned. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. There's some rules in place that will kind of keep this from happening.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a massive breakaway from the NCAA by the SEC and the Mm -hmm. Big Ten, and they say we're going to form our own. You know, NFL. a situation with rules yeah. of our own and this and then, yeah, that could happen. But in the current state of things, no, that's not going to happen um, because you have to have the balance of Title IX. Uh, what personnel group in Barrel of 89 asks will lead our offense in total snaps this year, 11 or 12 personnel? 11 personnel,
1: in my opinion. I, I just – I think that they are – I think they're going to give this offense every shot at being explosive while rotating in Drake Dabney and Jake Roberts. You'll see a lot of both, but I think in general, 11 personnel will be used more. I also think in some situations, they might be in very competitive games or playing from behind at times, and they're going to have to throw the football and get more weapons on the field. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand, though, they've got a good group of tight ends. So you could understand if they want to put as many out there as they can or have a couple guys at a time. But, yeah, I think that that we'll probably see a lot more 11 personnel. And And they're going to run both a ton. They're they're
1: going to do that. But even last year, I bet if you looked at it, they ran more 11 than they did 12. Especially once they lost Dabney, it became... Pretty much all 11 personnel.
0: Right. And, you know, there's there's good talent at tight end, but there can't be an over-reliance at the tight end mm-hmm. position. I mean, unless we're talking about Kyle Pitts being out there. And yeah. all due respect, they don't have Kyle Pitts on this roster. So, uh, yeah, you're going to want to get a lot more uh, involved. And I think we saw plenty of both looks last year. Um, I'm sure we'll see some things we're not quite expecting, just little tweaks here and there. But, yeah, I would think with 11, um, we'd see that more And you often. need them to be
1: healthy, too. And you got Kelsey Johnson. You got three, but... It's a matter of do you have a fourth one where you feel really good, maybe a Gavin Yates or something like that. A lot of layers to it, but I, I do think they, they're too. I feel like they have too many weapons
0: at receiver to not run more eleven personnel. All right, uh, go Bears, go! What are two or three things that need to happen to write the ship for baseball? Um, oh man, oh, and
1: I skipped over Jaybird. Yeah, we'll go to back that. to it. But recruiting, recruiting is the first one. They got to get more talent on this staff, and they, and really they got to get more. Not just talent on the roster, but they got to get talented players on the roster who can really play and make an impact immediately. Um, That's the first thing. I think the, and really that's hitting and pitching. Pitching, especially, they need to find um, an ace, an ace or two, if they're going to uh, really try to make a run in the Big 12 at all next season. Um, And then I think the second one is they got to keep the good players on their roster like a Colby branch, you got to find a way to keep him on the roster, the good ones. And I, there weren't a lot of good players from last year's team, but keeping a guy like Colby branch on would have been nice. So now going forward, guys that you really want in your program that you feel like are big parts of your future, you got to figure out a way to keep those guys. You can't keep seeing this kind of roster turn with guys you actually want on the team.
0: Yeah, I think get NIL organized and get as much into that as you possibly can. That can help solve maybe some of your Kobe branch issues or your just roster issues in general. I don't know how you go about doing that. That's for baseball alums and baseball supporters to figure out, along with Mitch Thompson and company. But uh, that sounds, from all indications, like that needs to get a bit of a boost. And uh, just more talent. Um, they, just, they need more talent, however they can get it, whether it's NIL, whether it's just superior scouting or – Whatever it takes, <laughs> you know, that's uh, within reason. They need more talent, more NIO. Those are some places that I would I would definitely start. Um, thank you, Go Bears Go. All right, we're getting short on time, so let's be kind of mindful of that. Jay Bear, 2017 how do the high-level recruiters really feel about person over player mantra of the staff? I hear the mantra in word culture a lot, but it's hard to quantify how much that means in today's game. Is it actually a viable recruiting tool or just something nice to hear for parents, family members in the back of the room? Particularly curious about its value for high-end difference maker type of recruits.
1: So how do the high-level recruits, I assume, is what's meant here really feel? I have no idea how recruiters feel about the – I mean – I think they like it. I think it's a good recruiting tool. I think that in general for Baylor, when I talk about culture, when I talk about you know their mantra, um, the biggest thing is it resonates with the recruits that Baylor actually wants to land. I think that's the simplest way to put it. If a player doesn't care about person over player, doesn't care that the staff values that, then they're not really a good fit for Baylor. And so I think it's a nice tool that, you know, kind of weeds out players. And also it allows you to add players who actually want to be at Baylor and actually care about more things than just NIL or care about more things than just their brand. And I think that's really important. And that's why guys don't want to leave Baylor. Like, we've seen that constantly since Dave veranda has been here. Guys don't want to leave the program. They they had transfers this year, but most of those were situations where those guys maybe weren't going to play or they were getting older and need to find a, a new spot. But young guys who actually have a shot at playing at Baylor, they want to be at Baylor. And so I think it's important that they continue to find guys like that. And so it is a big deal. Now, if you're going to talk about the high-end recruits. So, yeah, does the number one player in the country – Will it completely change his recruitment, person over player? Probably not. Is Baylor, you know, really ever going to land the number one recruit in the nation? Probably not, unless that guy just has crazy ties to the staff or is a perfect culture fit. And then it could resonate. But in general, yeah, you're, you're probably right. The highest-end guys, yeah, maybe maybe it doesn't make a difference in their recruitment. But I do think it's something that's really nice to hear and nice to know about the staff. And they don't just say it; they show it on these visits.
0: It's not going to land you, Micah Hudson. It's not going to land you five stars, uh, I don't think, because there's too much pull with NIL or, you know, Georgia championship rings or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think in terms of finding the right culture that you can win with or type of players for the culture you feel like you can and need or want to win with in Waco and with Baylor in particular, you know, just the, the style of the school in comparison to who you're comparing them with most of the time when you start talking about other, you know, avenues of recruiting, um, you know, it's, it's their lane. And it's the one that they've chosen to drive in, knowing that it'd be futile to go and try and, compete for every single five-star and, you know, try and win that race. I mean, it would it would exhaust every resource, and, and it wouldn't last long. They wouldn't have enough gas in the tank to, to be able to do that constantly. So I think it's like it's their little carved-out angle of the recruiting pie of like, yeah, we'd love to have great, talented players, but there is also a specific type of person and player that we're looking for that's kind of our lane, and that's really where we're going to kind of uh, uh, focus in on and you know if we do that often enough and we bring the right pieces of culture and, and talent in then that all is going to come together and with what we do once they get here that will all develop into the the end result which is you know winning and having a positive culture uh, beyond just the wins as well and it doesn't sound sexy I realize that but you you know, it's 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 the uh, it's the Baylor way with mm-hmm. with Dave Aranda and and that's the way they're going to operate and they're not like everybody else and so it's unique to them uh, and it's not necessarily in this day and age the coolest thing in the world to flash to a five star recruit but it is going to resonate with some people and for those that it doesn't well it just wasn't the place for them and they'll they'll have to deal with uh, how to you know make up for that with somebody else who is more of, of their style or more of their type of person. So, yeah, I don't think it helps with every case and probably hurts in some, but it def- definitely eventually lands you the guys you feel like are going to fit in and you have less to worry about maybe attrition-wise down the line because of those, those cultural fits. All right, Brick Park, are there any updates on the current available scholarships in football? I guess A.J. McCarty being dismissed gave us an available one. Yeah, and I've mentioned this a couple times
1: that there was a, a spot that was going to be open uh, due to this. I have mentioned, mentioned it on the site, mentioned that the staff has looked, looked into uh, JUCO prospects a little bit. They've had some JUCOs on campus for camps and then a couple transfers uh, that they've looked at as well. So, yeah, I, I think they have a spot available. I believe it's only one right now. Um, but uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe it gets up to two, uh, two spots um, in, in the somewhat near future. But, yeah, one, two, they have a little bit of wiggle room now.
0: What does Armani Winfield need to do to get on the field more? How does the return of Javon Gibson factor into competition for the third wide receiver spot?
1: Yeah, Armani just needs to get more consistent
0: and especially
1: contested catches, those tough catches. He needs to continue to get more consistent there and stay healthy. You know, he's had some lingering, not lingering, but just, you know, an injury here, an injury there, and a lot of these guys in the wide receiver core I feel like have had that. You know, Jordan Neighbors had it. Monterey Baldwin has definitely had it. Um, So that's going to be big for Armani, just developing. And, I mean, to be honest, if you want the simplest thing, he's going to have to beat out Hal Presley if he wants to get on the field more Um, because I don't think he's being out Keytron. He doesn't play the same role as Monterey Baldwin so it's really Hal Presley or Armani Winfield and of course Josh Cameron is in that mix as well Um, now as far as the return of Javon Gibson I don't think he's going to factor in much into that race I I think Cameron Winfield and Presley are ahead of Gibson at the moment you also have neighbors Monterey Baldwin and Keetron Jackson all of those guys I view as ahead of Javon Gibson right now.
0: Enaival how do you see the running back rotation playing out this year? Uh, I think Dominic Richardson is probably going
1: to be your—I know a lot of people want to say, like, Abram Smith. He's not going to get as many carries as Abram did. Like, I don't see that happening because Baylor has too much talent in that room. But I think he'll be utilized like an Abram Smith. Like, short yardage, I could see it first down, second down guy. I could see it. He can also catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield. And then Richard Reese is going to get a lot of carries as well. Those two guys are going to get the bulk of the carries. And then you're going to have situations where Bryson Washington and Quaylon Jones will also get opportunities to be that third back. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how I anticipate it. So I guess... I put Dominic Richardson as the lead back with fault closely by Richard Reese and then special occasions or if injuries happen, you'll have Bryson Washington and Quaylon Jones in that order, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's, you know, definitely how I kind of view it as well. Richardson, Reese, and then, you know, the other two, Washington Jones, um, taking up some of the other carries as well. Yeah, that's how I, I see it too. Uh, let's see. Uh, what's your prediction for the TCU Oral Roberts game this afternoon? I lean O R U sixty five to seven. <laughs> <Be> <laughs> Love nice. the shade. Yes. yes. It. Um, I'll go uh, Oral
1: Roberts at eight to four.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think I think TCU wins for some reason. Uh, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I feel like you know they got that that big win the other night to stay alive, and they're a really good team. Um, so I'm gonna go with TCU. I mean, they had that game. Won the other day, Amen. and, uh, you know, Oral Roberts just had the, the big ending there, but uh, I'll go TCU, um, but, man, sure would be great to uh, see Oral Roberts win that game and just eliminate that problem for uh, those who are not excited to see the the year of the frog continue on any longer. Uh, Baylor dad, 79. Hi, guys. Seems like a lot of people are thinking Quaylon Jones is just an average running back. Last year he averaged 5.1 yards per carry, blocked well, was a good receiver out of the backfield. If I saw a player with those stats in the Big 12 come to us through the transfer portal, I'd be pleased. Do either of you think he will improve this year, or do you think he has peaked? Love the show. Well, thank you, Baylor Dad. Appreciate you very much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he had a lot of opportunities last year, and he definitely made the most of them. I mean, he had 462 yards, five yards per carry, seven touchdowns, 23 catches for 135 yards. I personally think those numbers are peaked i I don't think he's going to get more than that because if he does then it would require an injury to richardson or reese and i would also say you know we can all think what we will or, or just go off of the stats or the numbers but the fact of the matter is baylor decided they need to bring in a running back a transfer running back in dominic richardson which i think speaks volumes to the fact that they felt like they need to get better there and if they felt like Qualen was an every down back, then they would have just rolling with, rolled with Qualen, Richard Reese, and Bryson Washington. But they didn't. They went out at a Dominic Richardson. So I think Qualen is a good quality back who does a lot of things well and has really proven people wrong as a running back. Like he showed some things last year that were really intriguing. Uh, so I think he's a, he's a very good player, but I don't see his numbers getting any better than they were last year. I think they'll probably even take a little step back.
0: Yeah, I mean, they could if he suddenly turns 12-yard runs into 42-yard runs. Uh, That's the way that he could have bigger numbers, in my opinion, is to just break off some longer runs and force them into giving him more carries or just maximizing the carries that he does get to even a further degree where you know, he's adding yards and and scores just based off of extending the plays. But, yeah, beyond that, I don't see a scenario where he's getting more carries. It's not... Hey, this guy got hurt, and now we need Quaylen Jones to pick up even more of the slack. But I think he'll have a nice uh, role. I think uh, you know his contributions, blocking, are uh, you know certainly very valuable, and just his uh, ability to, as you said, be dynamic uh, in you know the passing game or in the the running game from time to time uh, should you know really play well into this offense's hands this year. But it's good to have options, and it's good that he won't have to because he's not a twenty carry guy i mean most of these guys are going to probably get their you know 15 or so Mm -hmm. and he's going to get his maybe at most at times like 10 or something but you know maximize those opportunities and maybe the numbers spike a little bit but i don't see a scenario where like that happens because he's getting fed a lot more uh, because there's just there's more people at the dinner table now but that's not a knock on him that's just you know Got uh, got more of a comfortable situation in that running back room now. And we saw last year, it was kind of needed once Richard Reese went down. They were in a a world of hurt, but Qualen was one of those that, uh, and and Tay McWilliams right out of the gate. Yeah, so we saw way more Richard Reese than we were supposed to see. We saw probably more Quaylen than we were supposed to see. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think he did really well though. He was a guy that I was I was happy with last year watching him. So uh, appreciate the question. And then uh, have I think that's it, right? Uh, Yeah. Bear for cleats had one comment. Bear for cleats always enjoy the show. Thanks for what you do. Well, thank you, Bear for cleats, on the uh, nice comment there, and thank you for listening. And uh, that will wrap up what we do, at least as far as this week goes. Uh, NBA draft, we'll be able to discuss where Keontae George and potentially Adam Flagler went next week. Um, Obviously, another recruiting weekend as well. And who knows as far as anything else. Like, we weren't expecting the Colby Branch news, and that popped this week. So, always we'll be on the lookout for stories like that. Uh, too. But in the meantime, Grayson, anything for the folks out there?
1: No, just uh, be sure if you're not a premium subscriber, please become one. We have all kinds of content, news, notes, especially recruiting, basketball, football, all kinds of stuff uh, on the premium side. And of course, uh 365 sports monday through friday um i know y'all are probably going through deep dive right now in the summer so i know that's an important time for y'all as well with college football going on
0: yeah it's uh it's probably the least fun time of the year in some ways because everything's kind of like the quiet before the storm Mm -hmm. and yet there's a lot of like lightning thunder strikes though with realignment and just recruiting and things like that so the Bob Huggins' story out of nowhere. Yeah. There's always things like that. So, yeah, definitely have still plenty to talk about. Check us out three to six, Monday through Friday, as Grayson said. In the meantime, appreciate Jack and McKenzie behind the scenes. Thank you to Grayson Grunhafer. I'm Craig Smoke. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. This has been the Bearcast on Sickham365.com. 365 Sports.